Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. Welcome to our episode where we interview Eric Reed, who makes music under the moniker Alabama Death Walk. We will be going through with him a bunch of questions about the band, about the Kickstarter for the new album, and then we will go through the entire new album, which came out on January 22nd, entitled Young Runner. We will be going track by track through that album with him, asking him a bunch of lyric and music questions and philosophical questions questions so um so it's gonna be a fun interview uh nate you ready to jump into this yes sir all right today our guest is eric reed based out of new Braunfels, texas he makes music under the moniker alabama death walk he recently released his latest record named young runner on january 22nd welcome to the podcast eric hey guys good to be here so before we begin uh we just have this thing we like to Kind of, it's less of vetting you and more of vetting the fans or those who are listening just to see if they want to continue listening. And I mean, it's tough that, you know, people make decisions about whether they want to keep listening to something very quickly. You know, you got to get their attention and keep them locked in from the get go. So we're going to start with a segment called How Blank Are You? or Today, How Alabama Death Walk Are You? or AKA How Eric Reed Are You? And it's basically just a bunch of this or that questions where listeners will either find you like relatable or repulsive, and that will basically propel them (laughs) to either click uh, the X button on the computer or keep listening. So is that cool with you? Yeah, let's do it. All right, sick. All right. So your first question is, it's a layup, coffee or tea? Coffee for me. Baseball parks or national parks? Oh, national parks. Hard national parks for sure. Twin Peaks or Stranger Things? Okay, this is where a lot of people are going to X out, but I actually have not dived into Twin Peaks, so Stranger Things for me. Reading or writing? Uh, Writing for me. Music pre-2000 or music post-2000? Music post-2000. Spring or fall? Spring. I get... (laughs) I get... uh, I get like seasonal I, I get there's something that happens it's this is uh kind of strange but i realized this year that every fall i get like chest pains and anxiety from <laughs> like the last couple of years i love how the fall looks but every year i get like i take like a big dip uh in the fall time and like get really stressed out and still figuring out why that is so spring for me is is uh my favorite out of those two by a landslide. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nights out or nights in? Uh, I don't even remember what nights out are like. <laughs> um, I'm going to say I'm going to say nights in. Me and my wife have made uh, have made nights in work this year. We're fi- we figured out a way to make it fun. Apple Music or Spotify? Uh, Spotify, but I mean, I could I could leave them both if there was something better. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, you live in Texas. 
But mm-hmm. your moniker is Alabama Death Walk. So Alabama or Texas? Um, I'm gonna go Texas. So you hate I your band? To. Is that what you're trying to I say? I hate. I hate everywhere except for where I am. (laughs) So uh, if that's the case, I think I know what you'll answer for uh, this next question. In the studio slash recording or live shows? Actually, uh, live shows. I was being sarcastic. I really like traveling a lot, and I like a lot of different places. Uh, I I, I think I'd like live shows the best. Just for me, that's been... I like spending time with people and kind of present uh, one of the big goals of the music that I make is um, I want people to not feel like alone or feel like they can kind of, uh, I don't know, relate to or feel some kind of um, relief or inclusion in the music or the songwriting or or the lyrics or whatever. And nothing is more um, like evident for whether or not maybe that's happening than like a live show Mm -hmm. for me. Mm hmm. All right, little caveat for our final question in this section. Okay. So I am from Philly. Nate is from Boston. So we just want to ask you, Boston or Philly? Dude, I actually haven't spent much time in Philly at all, so I'm going to say Boston. (laughs) Nate's gaining some ground. So I, nobody said Boston for the first X amount of interviews, like all of them. Then the past three have all been Boston. Two were international. That one of them picked Boston because they thought it was close to New York, <laughs> when in reality, <laughs> Pennsylvania is much close. Not much closer. It's closer to New York. You yeah. won on a technicality, but you won nonetheless. Huh? Exactly. Yes. But you're the first, uh, I guess you would say, non-international musician yeah. to pick Boston. So much wow. appreciation. Oof. You got it, dude. Philly's got to get their act together, man. We're losing Philly it. Sucks, Sor- dude. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for playing our fun game. It seems like, if I'm correct, telling up these points, you are 100% Eric Reed from your responses. So, oh, yeah. Um, I'm so relieved. Good job. Good job. Oh, man. <laughs> that, was a, that was a close one. <laughs> and, Andrew, it seems like you're 100% an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 99%. Yeah. 99%. All right. So continuing a slight change here, but still talking about travel in general. So this past year has obviously been a very different year for musicians with the lack of being able to play live shows, travel. What have you been doing to keep fans involved in your music? And then when are you planning to start playing live shows again and when you do start planning uh, those live shows, are there any new tracks that you're really excited to play live? Yeah. Um, first part of the question on how I'm trying to like stay engaged with fans when I can't play live. Um, I think it's the the most helpful thing was doing a Kickstarter earlier this year. Um, that I mean, it was definitely more help for me than for for them um but it just felt like uh well i got help out of it financially and incur- and with encouragement but then they also what i like about kickstarter and crowdfunding stuff is it's also like an easy on-ramp for people to have like a sense of ownership in the music so even though i haven't played shows almost at all this year um just a couple at the beginning of the year before everything hit really hard um the i feel like i it's very possible that a larger number of people will have a sense of ownership 
to this new record than if I had been playing shows all year and didn't do the Kickstarter. So in some ways that was actually really, uh, that was, yeah, that, that worked out really well, um, this year and new songs. Yeah. I have a couple I'm really excited about. Um, you guys know this, um, I'm sure like releasing music is, is kind of strange because by the time you release the music, you've already been sitting on the song for, for years. And in this case, like, a long, long time for this record. Um, so in some ways I already have like new songs that are newer than the new songs that are not on this record. So, uh, uh, and I'm kind of excited to see those flesh out a little bit more and play them live. I'm also interested to see like, um, how the muscle memory changes because I don't, I don't actually play, uh, music nearly as much this year, um, with like just, the patterns of my life right now and so um i'm interested to see when i jump back into it whether or not i'll like play guitar a little bit differently or if anything will be yeah it'll be interesting to see with the newer songs yeah and you mentioned the kickstarter we just thought we'd take a moment here uh to ask a question about the kickstarter so it seems like it was funded in about a week which is kind of crazy then you set an (laughs) extra goal and that was exceeded so obviously did really really well uh can you just talk about your decision to crowdfund this why you decide to go that route and what the experience was like for you yeah i had uh been playing around with the idea i mean like every alabama death walk release has been like um, a group effort in, in some way, but I've never done crowdfunding before. Um, but I had started planning a Kickstarter for this record, like probably a full year before the Kickstarter launched. And I went back and forth on whether or not I wanted to do it. And then the pandemic hit and then the, uh, like the, the civil rights movement, um, that we're currently in, like really peaked, uh, in June, it felt like, um, and I just felt like it it seemed silly for me to ask, uh, for anything in this time. And so I went back and forth on that a lot and I I worked through it with some emotional stuff too, to try to figure out what my motives were. Um, but then ultimately I just felt like, I just felt like, uh, I don't need to make that decision for people. Like there's a way for me to hold both things at the same time like that yeah it's it's a year that we're grieving a lot and it's also there's there are people whose voices are in a lot of ways more important than mine but that doesn't mean that I have to necessarily be silent um and not make art at the same time so I found a balance on like how to at certain milestones in the kickstarter was able to sometimes publicly sometimes just me and my wife would make that decision on like what amount we wanted to donate to certain things, um, to just make it feel right for us. Um, and so I think overall, I, I feel like, um, the, how long it took me ended up being a positive cause I feel like I was really able to process it, um, well, um, in a way that didn't feel like disingenuous or whatever to me. So I feel really happy about it. And then my experience with it was, was like, um, like most people that, that end up getting lucky enough to have a successfully funded campaign is just like, I was just kind of blown away. Like I, I, I really, I ended up deciding to lower the Kickstarter amount because I just wanted to be sensitive to people like either doing low or slow giving, um, during this like wild year. And then, yeah. And then it got funded in a week. So it was like, um, I was just kind of blown, blown away by it. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It, I mean, who can who can predict um, what how things work this year? But it was really good. So first, before I begin talking about the record at all, I just wanted to say it's by far no album comes close to my favorite record of 2021 so far. Um, <laughs> like it's just oh, in a yeah, league of true. its own, man. Very wow. true. Um, man. <laughs> but anyways, uh, for fans of Alabama death walk, uh, this album, uh, is just another step. I would say in your musical approach, I think you transitioned with steep hills to be a bit more, have a bit more electric, be a bit more dynamic overall, a bit less acoustic, but this is even one step further in that elect mainly electric approach. You also have synth work and other instruments going on. Um, and, it's kind of this leaning into rock more than singer-songwriter, I would say, in a certain sense. Um, yet the lyrics are still... I don't want to say they're singer-songwriter, but they still have that same heart behind them, that singer-songwriter heart. And can you just talk about this overall musical transition and kind of what sparked you to go in this direction? Yeah, sure. Um, that feels true to me about the like kind of more like more rock, in sound with sing a song i mean rock is such a i know it's such a clumsy term um because it's so wide but um i do feel like that is true to like the energy of the music and then the lyrics i think are still very all my favorite songwriters still have like one foot in that singer songwriter kind of camp um but uh 2018 i think i was training for a half marathon and i was listening to a playlist uh or i had created a playlist with like um bands like um mansions and saint seneca and uh this band called everett and my friend's band sorry town and um Anyway, a bunch of essentially like I, I to this day, I don't know a good genre name for it, um, but it's like it's like Pedro the Lion, but a little bit, but like faster and more and more um, like angsty, maybe. I'm not sure, but the energy is a little bit higher. It's a little bit more sporadic. Um, it's got one foot in like emo stuff, but it's 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 a little bit more colorful than that. Um, but anyway, that whole place was that long story short. I ended up listening to that playlist without realizing it every time I ran, which to train for a half marathon for me was a lot of running. And by the time we had started tracking, I'd realized that, like I had been listening to those songs more than any other songs that year. And I think that's that really turned the ship in that direction. I mean, that's like what I listen to a lot of the time anyway. Um, <clears throat> but I think now that I'm I'm a little bit more confident as I've gotten older with maybe like letting the record be a snapshot of what the what the live band is in some ways at that time too and and that that was the reality of us playing live when we were full band was that it was pretty rocking and loud too so yeah it just felt natural but that playlist that running playlist was like the big catalyst for that I think that's really cool um for me uh speaking of influences and stuff and you mentioned one um definitely here pedro and bazan like very like that's probably for me the most the most prominent and most evident it's also evident um so you talked with us before the podcast how you discovered long distance listening through our tyson motzenbacher 
interview. Yeah. Tyson is another guy who I definitely hear in your music. Um, oh, cool. And lastly, like kind of like some Valley Heart vibes who that's our our friends band, which is kind of also Bazan influence and stuff. And whenever we can shout them out, we shout them out. Yeah. But, um, write that down. But of all, all these bands that we mentioned, um, what one thing that they have in common is dealing with religion in terms of growing up in Christianity. And it seems like through your music that that story, or at least your story shares that similar thread and so I'm just wondering, how has writing music helped you process uh, your journey through religion and your relationship with God? Yeah, I'll, um, I only recently in my adult life have kind of learned to, to process my emotions in a more healthy way. Um, but before that, I, I think really the, one of the only ways that I processed them like well was through songwriting. And I don't think I could have put words to that necessarily at that time, but looking back on it, all the, a lot of the lyrics that still resonate with me, the most that I wrote when I was younger, um, was maybe the only way I, I vocalized that sentiment in a way that was like clear and concise for me. Uh, and so it, it's like journaling or something like that, I guess, um, but I didn't, I don't, I don't have that discipline to journal frequently or whatever that that's just kind of what happens when my brain goes into songwriting mode sometimes. So yeah, I think invaluable, um, definitely for, for processing. Um, I, I, I think the majority of my religious experiences, um, when I look back on them, um, feel negative to me. And that's something that I, I feel, uh, pretty complicated things about, um, so I would say that a space to process like faith struggles, um, like in a song where there aren't expectations, I'm the only one writing the song, so I don't have anybody else chiming in on like, but God is good or, but like whatever positive, um, kind of tropes that can happen really frequently in faith discussions. Um, having the space to do that in a song, I think was like, really important for me in my young adult uh, adulthood and and now as much as ever for sure so i'd love to take a moment to talk about the production of the album it has a really great raw sound and uh and just a, a great sound to the overall mix while it still sounds really well mixed at the same time can you talk about the recording and production behind this album and what you hope to capture from that side of the album yeah um we, it was re- so we started recording it in 2018, I think, in like June or July, and we recorded the drums, rhythm guitar, bass guitar, and some of the vocals uh, at my f- friend Aaron Zachary's house in Austin in his living room. We tra- he transformed his house into. Uh, he had a he had a console already, but he wasn't doing a lot of live tracking there. But he he made an exception, and um, his girlfriend was gracious enough to let us take over the house for the weekend. And we yeah made we did the foundation tracks that weekend, and then another weekend uh, I think like two weeks later, and then the rest of the record was recorded uh, little bits and pieces in like another maybe Friday or something with him couple months later and then the rest of the the record was recorded in this room um 
I'd have friend the trombone and trumpet friends would come in here and we would record that. Um, yeah, so it was it's kind of a hodgepodge, and that's part of why the record was so hard to make, and also I, I'm sure very hard to mix. Um, Zachary Dyke mixed it. He, I've actually never met Zachary, um, which is kind of fun. Uh, I had I didn't meet the person that mixed Deep Hills until after the record came out either, um, and Zachary. Zach used to be in a band called Coin. He also has done some production work with uh, some other musicians that I like. Um, I heard about him through a friend, but I also knew about him through he's he's helped with Molly Pardon music and uh, Liza Ann music. So anyway, he he was recommended by a friend, and we talked. And he he's a big Pedro fan too. Um, so he mixed the record, and then mastered was uh, this guy. Paul Vroom, who did this band Little Kid, he's mastered their stuff and, and mixed it. And I really love the Little Kid records that have come out the last couple of years. So, yeah, that's kind of how it how it happened. Did that answer the question? Sorry if I got a little bit off. Yeah, no, that's great. Okay. So, Young Runner is a great record name. What was the inspiration behind naming the record that? And were there any other strong contenders? Yeah, Young Runner. It had to do. It's kind of a double meaning in my mind for um, training for the half marathon and realizing the sound of the record was being kind of dictated by this unconscious, like playlist that I was listening to for months. Uh, but it also had to do with, I I moved here from El Paso, like in 2016 or something like that. And that's where Alabama Deathlock as a band was born. And, like all my oldest friends live there and my family still lives there and stuff. So it was a hard move. Um, and I, and yeah, I went through some, some tough stuff with like friend group kind of fractures and stuff in the months before I moved as well, which was really difficult. And, and I dealt with a lot of, um, like just feelings of, of guilt and, and like I had let a lot of people down or something by leaving. Um, but it also through writing the songs and and making the record was like able to forgive myself for like doing what I needed to do. Um, I think I like a lot of people who grew up in the church like feel like if you make a decision that inconveniences people, that you're like out of turn or something, or you're like like. Uh, unpleasant emotions are like bad to like uh, burden people with or something like that kind of language. Right. Um, and I think I'm just learning that those things happen. And sometimes decisions you make that are good for you are going to like, people will be disappointed by those things and that doesn't make them wrong. And so young runner was a little bit of a play on like um, being perceived as, as a, like running away from something, but actually in the truth of it was that I was like running towards something and also just this like image of like a young child running and like, how do you fault them for that? You know what I mean? It's just like, you're going to move. Um, and that's going to be okay. So yeah, a, a lots of different meanings on that name. I don't remember to be honest what the other contenders were because it, it feels like it's been a thousand years ago since I, <laughs> <laughs> since I named the record. Cause I just yeah. took so long to put it out. So I wish I had some, I bet I have a Google doc somewhere, some really bad names, but I don't recall. <laughs> I don't recall any. 
so you also have one of the weirdest and uh, coolest band slash artist names as well with Alabama Deathwalk. How did you decide on that name? Yeah, 16-year-old Eric decided that, um, <laughs> which is like, or maybe I was like 17. Actually, I don't remember when I started the band, but it's been over 10 years for sure. Um, I'm 30 now, so maybe like 13 years ago, I picked a name and what it was at that point was I, I really liked the idea of what you would write about if you were like kind of walking out into the wilderness and not like with no expectation of coming back or presenting your ideas to somebody or just like the stuff you would, the deepest stuff you would think about. I was really into, and still am, um, Bright Eyes and Manchester Orchestra and like those very um, almost like bleeding heart lyricists. Um, yeah, and so I like the Deep South as like a backdrop for that. So no no real interesting story with that. It was more like a vibe or a, um, just a backdrop in my mind for the type of songs I wanted to put out after. I used to play like heavy music and a lot of like where you could understand the lyrics and stuff. Um, a lot of screaming bands. So uh, I really was, I was really passionate about lyricism and still am. So that was what guided that. So the album artwork is incredible as well. If I'm correct, the artwork is a collage by Robin of Stolen Painting. Can you yeah. kind of talk about the process of working with Robin for the album artwork and what resonated with you so much about this piece in particular? Yeah. Um, well, it kind of plays to that young runner um, thing. So the, the album artwork is a collage that she, she cut a... She does like old National Geographic like style photography collages. And so I think this one is a two piece, um, which which so one piece is like a, a huge um, like smoke billowing from a fire, like a huge fire. Um, and the other one is just a car driving down the road with a kid looking out the back window. But the way she's arranged it is the car's driving towards the smoke. And that just felt really powerful to me. Um she she does great collage work uh but this one felt like hand, like it, i was looking at album art ideas for like a couple months and this one felt like as soon as i saw it i i think i dm'd her immediately to talk about whether or not she'd be interested and she was very gracious to allow me to use it that's sick so if you're all good eric uh we'd like to go track by track through the record right now ask you a bunch of questions that probably aren't that good and you'll give us great answers sound good let's do it all right sick the intro track is first up duh and it's called right lane savior Right, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Right Lane Savior? 
This song is such a banger. As the first song, it helps old fans and new fans alike get used to the style change that's happened uh, into this album. And it really has a great intro that starts off with some electric guitar power chords, leads, and some synth work. I really love the dynamics in this song. I think that's one of your biggest strengths on the entire record. The guitar tones throughout the record are awesome. One of the standout guitar parts is halfway through the second verse, there's a really unique guitar uh, lead line in there that I, I just think is really, really cool. So can you walk me through writing the guitars on this song and how you went about getting the right tone for each guitar part? Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for those kind words. I, I like the, that that's what struck you in the placement of that song at the beginning of the record is like kind of a bridge from the old, older stuff. So that's great to hear. Um, the guitar work on this one, I think almost all the guitars on this record were either recorded on this amp behind me, which is a, a J, uh, an old Marshall JCM 900 head, um, or a, a old Fender Champ um, that Aaron Zachary, who recorded uh, a lot of the drums and bass and um, rhythm guitar stuff, had. Or I actually would plug the guitar straight into the interface, which is a tool that um, Mansions uses to kind of get like some natural digital breakup. It's kind of weird. Um, new trick that I was playing around with. So I think the tone for from even part to part would change. I'm a big fan of like things peaking in and then kind of disappearing and you don't hear from them again. Um, I, I call them headphone treats. Um, like sometimes they're obvious, but sometimes they're really subtle and it's, it's to like kind of reward deep headphone listeners. Um, that guitar part you're talking about, I think in the middle, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm remembering right. Um, but I think Zach Daiku mix a record actually did that one in post, which is really cool. It, I did this on Steve Pills also where um, I encouraged the mixing engineer to add a part somewhere on the record because all the ones that I work with are musicians as well. Um, so I think that's the part he added on the record was that, and I love it. It's such a, it's like a kind of a glitching kind of strange guitar part that feels um, really out of left field. I'm a big fan of it. So this is such a good start to the record, as Andrew mentioned. I think the song does a great job of incorporating so many different topics and feelings that are in conflict with one another. Uh, you are discontent with your new job and life after moving, yet you are grateful for your wife and your home. You talk about the struggles of songwriting and yet are kind of clinging on to the joys of it as well. And then the song is also centered around this 48-minute commute that's awful and it sucks, but there you find this right lane savior. And I love how you're able to throw so many different topics, but also show their just the grayness and the positives and negatives of both sides. But to be honest, I have absolutely what I'm most curious about is because I absolutely have no freaking idea what a right lane saver is. <laughs> and this is one of those questions, Eric, yeah. where it's like, if you want to keep this a secret, do it. However, if you feel comfortable sharing and want to share, uh, then you can go for it. Just let me know what your thoughts are here. Yeah, man, I... Uh... 
I, feel, I was ready to answer and I feel like you primed it so well. I do think that it's more interesting if it's whatever you think it is. Um, so I'm going to leave it at that. But I, I uh, if you want to push me on it, I'm happy to answer. But I like the way that you worded that with uh, we were talking pre-interview too a little bit. I think sometimes the curiosity makes the song more fun. Um, so maybe maybe I'll leave it there. Sounds great. Next up... Um we have this song that describes what Eric's doing. He's leaving us at a distance. And <laughs> here is your chance to listen to a quick clip. You know I love you, but it's Andrew, what are your thoughts on Distance? It's a really great second track for the record. It continues to evolve your sound um, with interesting guitar structures and timing changes, specifically the halftime used throughout the song. This song keeps evolving and changing as it goes. There's also such a cool instrumental section before bringing it down at the end. Um, this song has some really unique chord progressions. The intro slash verse progression reminds me of something you might hear from from bands like Law Dispute or Project 86. Like, I don't know, they're just it's really minor, uh, really grungy. But your overall sound is, is quite different from those bands that I just mentioned. Um, the ending chord progression and vocals are also just super unique as well. So I just want to talk about the chord progressions. What inspired the chord progressions for this song? Um, yeah, thanks for saying all that. I think the... I wrote that song. I borrowed a guitar from my friend Reagan, who played banjo on, on the first song we just talked about. Um, when I hit writer's block spells, um, which I do often... Um, I've learned that if I can trade guitars with a buddy or or use a different instrument, sometimes it'll unlock something for me a little bit. And this is one of those examples. So I, he has like a an old silver tone, probably 60s um, guitar that's real beat up, but they, it has a short scale neck, which, which for people that aren't familiar with guitar, it just means that there's less space from the um, like the highest fret to like the farthest fret so all the frets are a little bit closer together and it just feels different in your hand when you're playing it and i i was really trying to find weird shapes i had told myself that on a on this record that i wasn't allowed to use cowboy chords very often um which is like a certain voicing on on how do you play um chords on a guitar like the the first chords you generally learn other than power chords on a guitar uh are or kind of like cowboy chords. And so I was trying to find weird shapes. Um, and this is, yeah, I, I, I think one of, one of the key like chords is a diminished chord. I didn't know that when I did it, I was looking for shapes, but I think that's, that's what makes it maybe feel like a lot of spew or like maybe like a me without you or like, um, Pedro does that a lot too. I think a band options that I love does that as well. Um, I think it was just, I didn't know what I was doing technically, but it just, 
that's what what my ear likes what i listen to so i think my brain went there but yeah the the chord progression is a really fun one to play still um because the shapes are so different that i do not get in my muscle memory in the same way that i do for other songs where like i'm playing the chord that i play in 50 other songs there i don't play other um there are a chord or two in that song a voicing that i don't play in anything else i don't think so yeah, you brought up Pedro. I hear a ton of Bazan and Pedro, especially in the intro. I'm like waiting for David's voice to come in, <laughs> yeah. and it, it doesn't. But um, the, the intro is a big nod to to Pedro. So listening to the first verse, uh, I first thought this was about someone in a romantic sense. But then as the song went on, it became more and more clear, to me at least, that you seem to be singing about God. And the second verse is probably my favorite verse on the album, and I'm going to read it uh, if you don't mind. I heard your name when I was young, and I still hear it in the same tone, if I'm not careful. They tried to own you like a dog or a loan, like they'd figured you out, but it's not that easy. You won't fit in the frame. And in essence, for me, you're describing how the people of your past used God selfishly and put him in a box to do so. And sometimes when you think of God, you think of that same God which they presented, but you're kind of fighting against that image. Do you mind sharing about that struggle or tension between what you were taught or what you saw growing up and how your understanding or view of God has grown since then? Yeah, that's a great question. Um... Yeah, I think as I've spent more time consciously unpacking some of the stuff that I grew up with in like uh, evangelical faith community, I think there's a tendency to want a pendulum swing. And so um, maybe what I grew up is that God is this and they were holding on really tightly to that and, and pulling other people to that to that side for a sense of unity because people didn't maybe didn't know how to process conflict or didn't know how to disagree and still love each other. Um, honestly. So, so that happens on one side, but the, my tendency is to want to overcorrect on the other side and say, no, actually God is this. And you actually need to come over here but as I've as I've torn it apart a little bit more, I think where I'm at now is that it, it. I don't know if it can be healthy on either side. I think there has to be some some posture for me personally of like. I mean, for for me personally, my answer is I don't know what God is. I I don't know. I have way more questions than I have answers. Um, I'm also very frustrated about it. Um, but I'm interested uh, to keep exploring that. Nothing in that was me saying that you should agree with me or disagree with me or whatever. I'm sharing my experience with it open-handedly with there being a position for you to disagree with me, and that's okay. Um, that's somewhere in the middle, I guess, and I don't do that well, but I think that's maybe my goal is like I don't necessarily think that it was – they were describing God bad and controlling too much. I think that maybe it was just that they were controlling too much because um, that may be their experience of God and that may be helpful for them uh, with what they're working through. Um, but to imagine that people need to like be on the same page, even in a single denomination about who God is, is, is a little bonkers to, 
for, for my brain to handle. Next up, we have the track Bluff to talk about Eric's extreme poker and gambling addiction. <laughs> All right, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Bluff? So another great track. The intro feels like it's kind of picking up from where the first two songs have left off. Uh, The use of brass on this song is a really great choice. It fits seamlessly into your style. This song has moments that actually remind me of Reliant K, which is kind of weird. Um, But it... I think it's mostly the vocals, but what what I noticed right away for me is that the song actually felt nostalgic for me, and I think that's because of listening to Reliant K as a younger uh, person. But this is also my favorite vocal performance on the album. Uh, From the dynamics in your vocals to the harmonies to the echoing vocal parts, um, it's just a really great use of vocals for the song. So can you talk about writing and recording vocals on this track? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think I recorded all the vocals for that track in this room. My thing that I was trying to do on this record um, when I could is actually try to record really low volume vocals. Um, So I don't think I'm singing very loud most of the time. Uh, I'm actually like intentionally trying to sing quiet. um, So that you get maybe some more breath or some more like just intimacy feeling like just like somebody's close, um, like in the room with you or something. Um, And yeah, I'm really glad that, that you liked that one. Um, I think, I think that the, that vocal is doubled. So I think I recorded it twice and then kind of like Elliot Smith styled, um, production, um, with the stacked vocal singing the same notes. Um, and then at the end of the song, my friend, Tyler Jordan, who's one of my favorite songwriters, he lives in Austin. Um, he's doing like the back and forth um, vocal with me so he the staggered vocal um, he's singing one part of that so I think not only are your vocals a great strength but also one of your biggest strengths on the record is the dynamics of being able to quiet things down again not just vocally but instrumentally and then bring them back up and the bridge on the song sonically I think is one of my favorite parts on the record as it's a slow build that quiets again and then transitions back into the chorus this song is lyrically one of the most poetic on the record i would say it sounds like a failed or broken relationship where things didn't quite work out partly due to your fault and you're basically saying i really did give it my all i just felt short and this idea of bluffing is essentially communicating you could be lying when you say you gave it your best, but you know that you're not lying and they like you you really did give it all you had. I guess in terms of bluff, why did you connect so much with that word or that image in terms of this exact situation? Yeah, that's a good question. Sometimes when I'm writing a song, the chords come and then a word falls on top of the chords that is like 
surgically from that point on inseparable from the chords anymore. And I think bluff is one of those words. And so it ended up for the meaning for me, like personally ended up working, working well for it. But I think it may have also just been that it was, it, it was like obtuse and, and, uh, obscure enough to, to kind of, there's a lot of fill in the blanks around that word for like what the meaning might be for, for different people, but worked sonically. So that one is one of those, it's like one of those treats for in my head of like, I don't know if I picked that word. I, I think that that word like just kind of, um, was married to the chords. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question though. Uh, like how it would change from, from like, there are a lot of other words that you can use from like, um, yeah, there's a lot of synonyms for that, but bluff was the one that, that I, I, I don't think after maybe the first time playing this song, I don't think I ever looked back. It's just like, well, I don't think I can, I think that's married to the chords. Yeah. Next up, we have the track Olive. Sweating blood, I believe. You thoughts on Olive. So this is personally one of my favorite tracks on the whole album. It's longer runtime gives you plenty of time to uh, change the song up. It's almost like it's two different songs in one. The first two minutes build in crescendo into this huge instrumental only to be pulled down and build back up uh, but with different instrumental focuses and chord structures. This song is obviously very experimental and has such an interesting sound to it. The first time I heard it, I thought it might be the closer, um, although the closing track for the album is incredible. Uh, can you walk us through the writing of the song, the song's dynamics, and how you decided on its track placement? Yeah, that that's a great question because it was one that I that topic is one that I wrestled with a lot when I was picking song orders. That was a really difficult decision for me on whether or not it would be in that spot, uh, in the track listing. I think you're dead on that. It was two parts. Uh, I think that that was literally two song ideas that I ended up merging. I figured out like how to transpose one of them so that it worked as a chord chain or like, I don't, I mean, I, I, I so clumsy with this stuff. I don't really know exactly how it works logistically, but I, I ended up marrying two, um, two different chord structures that were standing on their own, but maybe weren't strong enough to stand on their own as a song and then married those. I also think that, yeah, by far this is the most experimental, like, like song structure wise of anything I've put out. Um, this was one where I didn't know if I, I wasn't even sure if I was going to have lyrics on it or if there was going to be like a couple words or not. Um, and I ended up using the, the lyrics as like a, 
uh, I mean, Nate's probably going to touch on this too, but for me, it's kind of a, it's almost like a mosaic or like it's, that's like very, you guys were talking about Pine Grove recently. I think that this album came out, Pine Grove album came out before, after I wrote this song, but I love it when artists do this where there's essentially a touchstone lyric that just gets repeated. And if you look at like the lyrics on that song, I think it's like super short. It's like there aren't many words on that song. Um, but I liked that. And even in mixing, I think I told um, Zach that I really wanted um, those headphone treats that peek in and out we were talking about earlier to be the main vocal as much as the vocals were. Um, so the vocals are more of an instrument, I think, on that song. So I have a funny, well, at least Andrew and I think it's funny, funny story to start. So uh, Eric obviously sent us a copy of the record before it came out, because that's how we're doing all this now. And still in 2020, unfortunately. But anyways, Andrew and I both independently misread this track as Olive Master, <laughs> because you obviously have Master after the track name, and for some reason this was the track of all the tracks where it's like we read Master, and Andrew brought it up to me, and I was like, dude, I had the same exact like response, like I saw that too, and anyways, that was just hilarious. That's um, funny. Again, same with Bluff, um, but honestly, for me, it's even to a greater extent here. I just love your broken down bridges and the anticipation that you create just hits me so hard, especially in this song. Lyrically, though, dude, honestly, you mentioned lyrics. So weird of you to write an intense song about Olive Garden. Like, I didn't know <laughs> you'd like the restaurant. Uh, they they paid for the record. Oh. It was a, it was an endorsement. Oh, it was? Okay. Wait, wait. <laughs> Andrew's just texting me. Uh, it's, it's not about Olive Garden, uh, <laughs> but potentially about the Mount of Olives slash Garden of Gethsemane, which now that he mentions it, uh, that makes a lot more sense. Um, so, okay. Seriously, I'm going to talk a bit because I even though your lyrics are sparse, I think there's so much uh, packed in here for me. So I was originally curious about the title when I first heard the song and I was wondering if it had to do with Garden of Gethsemane. And the first line is just a dead giveaway as you sing sweating blood on the leaves um, while you wait. And the next lines, I think, beautifully juxtapose the second verse of Distance, which I mentioned before, where you hear you saying, hear you, H-E-A-R, the real you, with a power that can't be named. And this is like the antithesis of the second verse of Distance, where people are kind of putting God in their own box. And even if it's even if it is for them, it is a very individual misrepresentation on a certain level. And here you're trying to at least do your best to present Jesus as he is or as you see him, weak and suffering, yet still with a power that can't be quite comprehended or understood. Yet the part that I, a song I actually wanted to ask you about is the second verse where you sing one ear then disappears with blood running down his neck, one ear then reappears. And I think this idea of healing is extremely significant, especially as the servant's ear was cut off by one of Jesus' disciples, for those who don't know the story. Jesus is being 
captured and taken away by the high priests and Jewish rulers. And one of his disciples, Peter, cuts off the ear of this soldier slash servant guy who's trying to take Jesus away. And I almost wonder if you felt wounded by those who claimed to be disciples of Jesus who weren't really reflective of him. And yet Jesus still heals this man who the disciples have attacked. Do you did you find yourself identifying with the servant in this way and include it for that reason? Or am I reading way too deep into this? Mm, that's beautiful. Um I'm not sure. I mean, I think that I think like anything, I, I'm somewhere I, I'm I'm somewhere in maybe one of those characters. Um but I I, the way I I'm picture Jesus. It, Sorry. I, I'm Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. I picture uh I picture me as like a third party observer on that situation. Um Yeah, and so the Yeah. So the power that can't be named part um is not just maybe like the for people that um are not interested in like a Judeo-Christian God at all. If you just like assume that this parable is like just, just like a, a metaphor for, uh, compassion. It's like pretty powerful. This idea that, um, well, so, so me, the power that can't be named, it's not necessarily just that like maybe hypothetically or, or, um, literally somebody has the power to heal. Um, it's actually like the, the power to transcend like enemy lines. So a lot of my baggage with evangelicalism is tied to nationalism. Um, and like, I just, most of the Bible I could do without, and I have a really hard time with, but certain, um, stories still resonate with me in a powerful way. And the, the him healing the soldier or servant's ear is one that I just can't like walk away from, yet because like what do you do with like what do you do with somebody that would heal like his friend standing up for you like your friend standing up for you and like acts brashly and hurts the person that that's essentially taking like walking you to where you're going to be murdered um and you take the time to heal that person like it transcends nationalism. It transcends a lot of stuff for me. And so the power that can't be named, um, it, it just feels like a little bit of fresh air from like a picking a side and convincing yourself that it's the best side just cause you're on it kind of evangelical stance. That I think happens for, uh, for a lot of evangelical circles, not all. Um, yeah, I don't know if that if I condoluted it more or not, but that that to me is that's really where I see myself is not necessarily one of those characters just observing and just being like, okay, I, I have I have a lot of confusion with the things that you said, but this one is really interesting to me. Um, this thing you did, I just uh, I'm in seminary right now, and I just wrote a 15 page paper on Christian nationalism, so. <laughs> Very, we're very much on the same page here. But cool. um, anyways, the <laughs> next song, because we are on a time limit and can't go deep into all this. Uh, the next song is Limits. Yeah. 
All right, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Limits? So I love how Olive leads right into this song. It's a really great transition. Uh, The softest song on the album, but it really carries a punch nevertheless. As much as the musical approach is great in the song, I'm actually just really interested to hear about the lyrics of this song. Um, I'm in Enneagram 2, and I often find myself uh, spread thin, although I've been getting better at it uh, recently. But this song honestly feels like it was written towards me, and I've definitely gotten emotional during the song um, while listening to it in the lead-up to this interview. So can you explain the meaning behind the lyrics for this song and any specific stories that led to the lyrics of this song? Yeah, sure. Uh, my wife is, she's she's very passionate about psychology and emotional health and uh, and her counseling journey, and um, has turned me on to a lot of helpful resources for like emotional health and stuff. So my mom's a Enneagram two and I'm an Enneagram seven. I'm kind of a weird seven though. I'm not a like, like really like always energetic seven. Um, I'm the anti-type or whatever that is. I don't know. This is, we're getting real deep. In the weeds, <laughs> and it's already deep in the weeds, but, um, so my, I, I inherited a lot of that Andrew from my mom. Yeah. Um, so I can relate to, to what you're talking about. Um, and I think my wife has just helped me kind of process that like, it's okay to let things go and that it's not necessarily my, like my fault for doing that like sometimes expectations are just too high and that can't always be the fault of the person that they're placed on um so yeah i think that the this song was kind of born out of uh, a lot of feelings of feeling spread thin i think is the way you worded it or, or something like that or or um buried maybe uh and, and just trying to process what that looks like without blaming myself or necessarily even blaming others, but just like sometimes circumstances don't allow you to f- complete everything. Lyrically, uh, you do a really cool thing where you transition from first person to second person pronouns. Um, and in my mind, by doing this, you both bring the listener in and communicate directly to them. But it also feels like you're communicating directly to yourself as well, rather than like kind of distancing yourself, you speak to yourself, whether those words are from you or from your wife. um, They're really pointed, I think. Um, Ironically, I actually, my questions about the music and uh, Andrew and I did not plan that, but I, I think it's really interesting that Limits musically is the slowest, shortest, and relatively safest song on the record, even though it's a very beautiful track. Do you feel like you put Limits on the song itself from a thematic standpoint to combine with or either demonstrate the ideology behind the lyrics, or was that just coincidental? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think it was... um a lot of the other songs had like a theme of catharsis. Maybe like I had processed something really heavy and I needed to, or I was, I was, I hadn't processed. I was processing something heavy and letting it out. And limits was one that I think I had kind of, whether or not I had totally internalized it, I had landed on something and that something felt restful to me. And so the theme of sonically also needed to be space to breathe space to like, like rest process your limits like not be overwhelmed 
So I think it was a it was a lyr- t- interestingly enough your audio question actually the answer is lyr- is lyrical um, that I think it was the lyrics were steering the ship on the um, sonic aspects of the song. So this next track something Andrew does not have uh, feelings. Uh, <laughs> let's give it a listen. thoughts on feelings so this is a great closer i really think that most of the artists that we've interviewed have a very specific idea of what needs to be done or accomplished for the closing of an album and you're definitely no exception i just think that a longer closer with low high than low dynamics is just the perfect way to go this song starts with an electric guitar lead picking strumming part and then it crescendos into some really distorted low guitars and bass uh, the long instrumental at the end that goes from loud to soft as it fades out is just great so can you talk about the musical idea behind deciding to end the album like this yeah i i really like the idea of I care a lot about lyricism in the music that I listen to. And I like this idea of like, well, let's give the listener uh, some space at the end to process the lyrics maybe or something like that. I'm an, I'm an album listener guy. I listen to albums a lot. Um, I have a lot of gripes with the way um, streaming. I love the fact that we have music on demand all the time, but um, they are not catered to album listeners. um, Even in the way that you cue music up. Um, You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. like so with yeah. you yeah even the way you can add a song like to a cue uh, how it breaks up the album you're current listening to is a real um frustration of mine but anyway i digress um the because of that i really do think in terms of a whole album and and so the idea of having a song steep hills did this as well that my my last album um where there's just time at the end to with no lyrics to just maybe ah, like just kind of if you were really listening and and got to a place where you're processing some stuff, maybe that's some space for you to um, process that or, or just relax and enjoy um, music and not have to get more information lyrically. Definitely a no-brainer last track, as Andrew mentioned. Uh, for the production, I love the vocal edit. Um, I, if, if it is an edit or whatever, the performance, I don't know what it is, but it really fits the aesthetic like extremely well. And it's something that brings me back and is nostalgic. Um, one of my favorite lines on the record is on this song going back to lyrics and it's don't skip to the last page. 
And I think this articulates something that you actually brought up near the beginning of the, the episode, talking about a really unhealthy thing that a lot of churches do to those who are hurting or who are grieving, which is just skipping to, well, God is good, or like he's going to make all things new again, like everything's going to be okay, heaven, in heaven there's no gnashing of teeth or hurt or pain or death, whatever. And because of that, the church has not equipped people at all to handle grief and to deal with grief or acknowledge how Jesus is, could actually be a great friend in the midst of suffering, not as an escape, but as someone who's present with you there. And um, it's kind of scary, though, to do that, because doing that means you're looking at your wounds, you're looking at the damage, and you're facing it head on, rather, and you're suffering through it, you're choosing to suffer through it, rather than to avoid and try and choose escape escapism instead. And so, I know for you, there's a lot of tension on the record of fighting against uh, the way you were brought up. Um, are you ever tempted to skip to the last page? And how have you seen in your life why that's not the answer to handling tough times? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, both of you guys are asking great questions, so thank you for that. I think the lyrics on this one tie to the that like kind of jarring uh comment i made earlier about the fall and seasonal like chest pain stuff um that is what happens when you don't sometimes when you don't process emotions as they come is uh, a year later when the temperature is about the same or uh do you smell the air smells the same or whatever you get chest pains or you you die of a heart attack when you're 50. Um, like these are the things that happen that we know about, um, especially in men um, who don't process their emotions is they're, they're there. Um, there's a book called The Body Keeps a Score that my wife has um, read through impressively. Uh, it's pretty dense work, but I've learned a lot secondhand from her. And it's about how trauma is stored in the body, um, like 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 physically stored in the body. Um, and so it doesn't go away. Uh, and so we either can try to deal with it in a way that's healthy. And even the healthy way of dealing with it doesn't look like trying to find it and get rid of it. It's not like a search and destroy type of thing. It's just like, if you're feeling grief, like allow space to feel grief. If you're feeling joy, allow space to feel joy. Um, my wife and I try to remind each other that like, uh, like I love you even when you're sad or I love you. Like, just unconditional um, space. It's important to have a safe place to feel things. And I, I really feel for people that, that didn't grow up with that or don't currently have that, but um, it's, it's necessary, I think, to try to find some way to feel what you need to feel and not bury it because it, it'll, it'll really mess you up. Well, I think uh, it's so tough when you put all this time and effort into a record um when you release it and kind of let go of it um it's kind of out of your hands i mean obviously you promote you do live shows and stuff but really at that point all you have is what you put into it and so we're going to close in terms of talking about the record as a whole 
Um, just with one last question before we get into favorite song and then we'll finish. And that question is, what do you hope fans take away from the album as they finish listening to it or even as they go back to it again? Um, and less, less of like, and, and you, you, you're kind of mentioning this a lot, less of like, well, I hope they learn that blah, blah, blah. But like, maybe it's a feeling, maybe it's like a pathway towards health. Um, what do you hope is a takeaway? Yeah, I think I would want the listener um, to feel like they're not alone, for one, but especially on this record with the themes and these songs is just to feel like they they deserve to occupy space and have feelings, uh, even when those feelings are not comfortable for other people, um, that it's important for them to feel them and that they feel like they, yeah, that they deserve to have them. I just want them to to know that that's okay and that they don't need to hide that or like repress those feelings. Awesome. Thanks so much uh, for sharing so much about the record. We just want to close with favorite song. Now we understand these are all your babies. You know, I hope your parents didn't have favorites. My parents did, but I'm an only child. Uh, so their hand, <laughs> their hand was forced. Andrew's one of six, and he'd be lucky to finish fifth. Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, Andrew and I are going to share our favorite song. And if you'd like to, you can share sure. your favorite currently. I'm sure it's changed sure. a million times. But Andrew, what's your favorite song currently from the record? Yeah. So it's probably hard for Eric to pick his favorite and it's hard for me to pick my favorite but I've settled on Olive as my current favorite I just I'm a sucker for like really experimental weird stuff I just feel like what the song gives both musically and lyrically it just really resonates with me it's definitely one that I've been going back to uh, a little bit more recently which is usually a a key into there's something that's making me uh, like it and maybe that's because it's my favorite so I just think it's a a really really well crafted song and uh and yeah so i'm picking it as my favorite how about you nate what is your favorite so olive i asked andrew what his favorite was before i decided mine olive was definitely in contention so i don't know if i would have picked that or not but for me i'm going with right lane savior i think because it was the first track i listened to that's huge where um I love discovering new art that I love, which is like such an obvious thing. But that first track, it's usually more than just what the track itself is. It's that experience and that joy and that excitement from like, wow, this is awesome. Like, I'm so excited to listen to more of these songs or I'm excited for the artist to like follow the artist in the future or see some shows or whatever. And so for me, that one song, obviously it needed confirmation from the rest of the tracks, which the rest of the tracks did provide. But that one song was that like spark of emotion and like joy to discover uh, such a great artist. So that's it for me. And the, the mysterious unknown of what the hell is a right lane stadium. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Eric, question for you. What is your favorite song at the moment? I think from us talking today, I, I don't know if I would have picked this at the beginning, but I think it's Limits. And I think it's because I need to I need to uh, listen to it myself and take that. I'm, in releasing the album, I, I also am a structural engineer and I own my own company. I mean, it's just like me and another person, like another employee, but... 
Um, I'm juggling a lot right now and I think I need to give myself some grace to like <laughs> just rest. So I think that's, that's the one I, 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 uh, is my favorite right now. Cause I think I need it the most. I need to re-listen to it probably. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on and to all those who are listening, please support Eric. Something as simple as following him on Spotify, following him on social media. It costs five seconds of your time. Give, give, give one song a listen if you haven't listened already and really dive deep into his music because there's so much there beneath the surface, so much beauty, so much as Andrew's pointed out, so many dynamic, really cool parts. And we're just really thankful for Eric's heart and his um, just being willing to share it. So thank you, Eric. And we really appreciate you both for your music and you regardless of your music. <laughs> so thank, thank you. you guys. This was really a sweet time, really thoughtful questions and very encouraging. So thank you guys very much. All right, that was our interview with Eric Reed, uh, known as Alabama Deathwalk. That was a great interview. We really enjoyed having Eric join us, just the insight he was able to give on the album. Make sure you reach out to him and uh, let him know that you listened to the interview and what you liked most from it. And make sure you listen to the new album. Uh, we just think it's a great album, and we hope you guys are enjoying it as much as we are. You can also follow the podcast so you can like and subscribe that fun stuff to the podcast make sure you're telling your friends about it as well um your subscribes really help our podcast uh, be able to keep doing what it's doing you can also find us on social media you can find us on instagram and twitter at ldl pod and you can also email us at long distance listening at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and have a great day Left lane demon. Left.